with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and our hands joined with one another. It's a symbol of joining hands with Christians all over the world today. And above and beyond that, joining hands with the Lord himself who holds us firmly and eternally in the palm of his hand. So let the hand that holds yours remind you of the Lord and remind you of a world that needs his touch. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us through the hands and the hearts and the lives of other people. We thank you for coming in person so we would know what you're really like to reach out and touch the untouchables, to love the unlovables, to forgive those who feel they are unforgivable. We thank you for your inclusiveness. We thank you for your incomparable love for each of us and all of us. We pray for the hungry. We pray for the hurting, for the grieving, for those questioning, for those troubled by the vicissitudes of life who feel tossed like a cork on the stormy sea. Dear God, speak peace to the troubled waters of our spirits today. And may we hear your kind and loving words. Be still and know that I am God. You are our God. We love you, worship you, and praise you through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. That incredible, incomparable word, grace, that is God giving us what we do not deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Grace greater than all. Would you like that word? Greater than all our sin, known and unknown, all of it. Uh, you'll see in the order of worship, we're changing it a little bit. I have some comments. really want to bring a brief message before we receive communion together. I want to welcome you as our guests who are here today. Uh, we want you to know that uh, you're invited to participate in the Lord's Supper, in the Lord's Table, the Eucharist, communion, uh, whatever your terminology may be. You may not be a member of this church. You may not be a Baptist. But if you are a follower of him who died to give us all life, we invite you to participate in this, for it is the Lord's Supper, not ours. And so he invites you to share this time of remembrance. So good to have all of you, our guests here, and so wonderful to welcome the uh, young lady from Moscow, uh, having preached there a number of times back during the days of uh, communism, domination, and even trying on one occasion to take Bibles in. And uh, <clears throat> they did not look upon that lightly. And they held me, the police did, for about four or four and a half hours for questioning. Made me so grateful for what I'm able to say to you right now. And that is, I want you to reach over and take the Bible that's in the book rack in front of you and turn to page 985. <clears throat> what they would have given in the church in Moscow or in what we were then called Leningrad, <clears throat> what they would have given to be able to take a Bible out of the pew and to read it. Uh, I sat beside a woman in one of the services who had a hand-copied New Testament from the reading of the scripture from the pulpit through the years of attendance in church, she had carefully written down and even decorated that hand-copied Bible. And uh, I have a picture of it. Can you imagine what it would mean if you and I wrote down all the words of the New Testament, how those words would become not only imprinted 
upon our minds but upon our hearts. So we're reading from the 26th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And I want us to read beginning with the 26th verse through the 28th verse. We will read together in unison the word of the Lord. Let's read together. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Is this relevant? What we're doing here, is this relevant on the eve of the 21st century and the third millennium in the modern world, erudite, cosmopolite individuals? Does this have anything to do with your life and mine? Well, one thing you can say for it, and that is, it has lasted. It has lasted. Caesar's sun set a long time ago. Empires have vanished. But this simple remembrance event, inaugurated by our Lord himself in the upper room, has gone on for over 2,000 years. Millions of lives have been blessed and refreshed and renewed by remembering what he did. I read where Napoleon, when his troops entered Milan, Italy, he desecrated the house of God. And in the room where on the wall was painted or hanging the painting by Leonardo da Vinci of the Last Supper, he quartered his horses. I doubt if many, if any, of the soldiers who were there in that facility had any idea of the meaning behind that magnificent painting by Leonardo da Vinci and the event it commemorated, which has outlasted all of the annals of Napoleon, who has passed into night and nothingness. It's interesting to me that Luke adds a word, as do each of the gospel writers. Uh, they see this marvelous event from a little different perspective and include different events. It's Luke in the uh, 22nd chapter of the 12th verse that tells us that Jesus gave instructions to go to this room to go to prepare the Passover where he would observe the Passover and then institute the Lord's Supper. And he gave specific designation to the disciples to go to this place where you will find, and hear the words, large upper room. A large upper room. I do not want to exaggerate the meaning of that the phrase, but it says something to me, at least, as I've thought about it in preparation for talking with you for a few moments this morning. It says something to me about the fact that all of us need a large upper room in our lives. And I'm not talking about literally. I'm not talking about a place as much as I'm talking about an attitude. 
We live in bumper-to-bumper -bumper world, events, pressure, going, so much of our lives spent in this incredible congregation of confusion we call the world in which we live. And we wonder why we lose perspective. We wonder why we rear-end other people. We wonder why we miss a turn and run a stop sign. We're preoccupied with all of the stuff that accumulates in our lives. And part of the reason for the confusion that we feel is because we've not spent any time in a large upper room with our Lord. I tell you, if you and I spend a little time each day, if we would spend a little time each morning before we get into the traffic of everyday life in the upper room, he would unsnarl some of the traffic jams we find ourselves in in the events of life. You have such a room? The Lord is speaking to us today to say, find a large upper room where your own soul can be refreshed and where he and you can get together in a new and deeper relationship and understand more about yourself and understand more about him. I'm reading an interesting book that I read, goodness, 25 years or so ago by Wayne Oates. I first heard Wayne Oates at Lady Lodge at a retreat, oh, 30 years ago. And he was a powerful influence in my life at the time and has been ever since uh, through what he shared with me. And then we had him here in our church for a couple of, time, a couple of times for conferences. And I'm rereading a book that he wrote. It's a small little book. It, it's not large in meaning, but my, uh, in, in size, but it is very large in meaning. Uh, nurturing a quiet heart in a noise, nurturing silence in a noisy world. We live in a noisy world, don't we? I mean, it just bombards us stereo from every side. And we need to nurture some silence in our noisy hearts. In the passage of Scripture I read, I want to back up a few verses and share with you a startling statement and a revealing response. 20th verse, Matthew 26. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine how startled they were? What if he were physically, visibly to walk into this room, as you and I picture him in our minds, and walk here and stand behind the symbol upon of the cross, the instrument of death that he carried on his back and to which he was riveted. And he looked out at us and he said, one of you will betray me. Betray. There's some interesting synonyms to the word betray. Of course, we know it as treason, we think of it in that sense, and almost in that sense alone, to sell out, to deceive, dictionary definitions of betray, to deceive. The times we deceive ourselves. Sometimes we do that more than we do other people, although we may at times deceive others as well. 
unfaithful to a promise. Have you been faithful to the promises you made to God? He's faithful to the promises he's made to us. He keeps every promise. Have we or have we betrayed a promise? I don't know. I can't look into your own heart. I don't, I don't have that kind of spiritual x-ray vision. But our Lord does as the master diagnostician. He looks into our hearts. Have we not in a variety of ways, large and small, at times betrayed the promise we've made to him? Unfaithful to the promise? Disloyal? We think of Judas as the only one who betrayed the Lord in that event. Uh, betrayed him he did, to be sure. Still as of old men by themselves are priced. Still as of old, men by themselves are priced. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas sold himself. Not Christ. Sold himself. Not Christ. The revealing response from these disciples there in that upper room in the presence of the Lord suddenly after he had washed their feet as John tells us in his account of this he had washed their feet they began to see themselves as selfish as uh, greedy for power and suddenly every one of them the scripture says every one of them they were very sad they, the scripture says and began to say to him one after the other is it I? surely not I. Every one of them in the presence of Christ were honest enough to recognize the fact that they were capable of betraying their Lord. Every one of them said, Would I do that? Is it I? It is I. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is I. See, when we get in that upper room with him, in this atmosphere of unconditional love, we begin to see ourselves through his eyes and then say in concert with those disciples, would I do that? Would I do that? A little girl was sweeping the floor. Her mother had asked her to sweep the floor. A little girl was sweeping the floor, and sweeping the floor was creating some dust, and the sun was streaming in through the window. And the little girl said, Mother, look, the sun is creating all of the, all of the dust. And the mother said, no, no, sweetheart, the sun is not creating the dust. The sun is revealing the dust. When in that upper room, the light of the Son of God begins to beam into our lives, He's not creating the dust. He's revealing the dust. And we become cognizant of our own capabilities to deceive ourselves and betray Him. Well, you find this same struggle going on in mankind, Christian and non-Christian. 
the struggle going on inside of us between that part of us that wants to do right and that part of us that, uh, that is contrary to that, this juxtaposition, this dichotomy in our minds and in our spirits. A great uh, analyst of human nature, Shakespeare, and, and so much of what he wrote, well, that statement, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. May I paraphrase it? We are betrayers. Hamlet. Hamlet, so uncertain about himself, so indecisive about himself to be or not to be. That is the question. Macbeth, eaten up with remorse, and ambition, Othello, consumed with in, insatiable jealousy. That's just in Shakespeare. Dwight L. Moody, the great preacher, evangelist, whom God used to bless millions and millions of people on both sides of the Atlantic, once said, I have more trouble with me than any other person I've ever met. I have more trouble with me than any other person I've ever met. And then I suppose the supreme example of this struggle going on inside of us between loyalty and betrayal, you find it in the Apostle Paul himself, the great propagator of the gospel who wrote 24, 25% of our New Testament, listened to him cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? from this contradiction going on inside of me. And then he resolves it in that marvelous exclamation, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. The Bible says, Matthew tells us, that they all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him. There wasn't a hero in the bunch. And I'll remind you again, as I have often, that the hero of the Bible is God. It's not anybody in here that's the hero. It's God that's the hero. There's not a hero among those disciples. They all forsook him and fled. When they got to the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked the disciples to pray for him. And then he took Peter, James, and John, went a little further, asked them to pray for him. Then he went a little further by himself. And the Bible says he literally threw himself on the ground and began to pray. And he went back to see if Peter, James, and John were praying for him and they'd gone to sleep. They betrayed his request. He wake, awakened them and prayed for him. He said, I'm going through Gethsemane, the valley of the shadow. He went back and prayed again, came back, they were asleep. Well, I guess all of us finally have to stand with those disciples in the upper room and confess with them, Lord, is it I? And the answer comes ringing back, yes. Well, then what hope do we have? What solace for our souls? What release from this contradiction? What hope? Twenty-eighth verse. 
This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My blood, my sacrifice, my love, my gift of life for you poured out for many. Does that mean that there is some sort of limited atonement? That there's only a selected few for whom he died? No, he died for all men. And he said, whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His grace is sufficient for all who call upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no limited atonement here. This means that poured out for the many who accept God's forgiveness of their sin. Forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven. Not because of these elements here, but because of what took place on the cross 2,000 years ago. That was the source of the supreme sacrifice for the cleansing of our souls the forgiveness of our sins. They sang a hymn and left the upper room, went back southeastern, excuse me, southwestern part of the holy city, and then walked diagonally northeast toward Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives. And as they walked, we know what they talked about, or at least what Jesus talked about. If you read the book of John, Jesus was talking to them about various things. They go past the great temple, and then out the Golden Gate and down through the Brook Kedron and up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to them, it's recorded in the 14th chapter of John, now listen, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also those marvelous words my mother's favorite words and favorite passage of scripture speaks volumes three succinct statements those three words give us comfort for today you believe in God believe also in me You're okay for eternity. Peace for today. Comfort for tomorrow. God has the future in his hands. Comfort for tomorrow. And then the great promise to return. To return. He's coming back. No one knows when. But he said to do this in remembrance of me until I come. He's coming. Maybe before tomorrow's sunrise. Be ready. Even so, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come quickly. Until then, we remember. Paul writes in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you,
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Dear bread of life, broken for us, we come to commemorate your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And we pray that in the solemnity of these moments, we will, as you ask, remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Lord Jesus, remind us that it is not the cup that saves us, but the Christ who died on the cross, whose blood spilled out on the dry, thirsty ground of human hearts to give life. Bless this remembrance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new testament. In my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Or whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God has spoken to us and is speaking to us today through his written word, through the symbols of Christ's death and resurrection. You're even surrounded by these stained glass windows that all depict the major events in the life of Jesus. His birth, his childhood with the tools in the carpenter's shop, the baptism, the temptation, Palm Sunday, the Lord's Supper, the crucifixion, an empty cross, the resurrection, the phoenix rising from the dust. And here in the center, the ascended Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, standing on the earth as the returning king. You're surrounded by. And you're surrounded by people who love you and are praying for you as fellow members of his body his fellowship and his spirit impresses you in this moment God expects a response from us from such a moment as this 